The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hello, everyone. Good afternoon, and welcome to an episode of Barron's Live Market Watch Edition. My name is Arti Swaminathan. I am a housing reporter with Market Watch, and I'm your host for today. And on today's episode, we're joined by the man of the hour, the person we all want to speak to, Glenn Kalman, CEO of Redfin. And if you didn't know already, Redfin is a huge national brokerage. So he knows a lot about housing, right? So welcome, Glenn. Hi, thanks for having me. So we've come to you at a very interesting point. 30-year is quite high, above 7.2%. Home prices, quite high. As the CEO of a real estate brokerage firm, my first question to you is this. How would you describe the housing market right now? Rock bottom. So sales volume couldn't be worse. The only people who are moving right now are the ones who absolutely have to. Some of them are getting a good deal on a home, but they're going to have to refinance their mortgage later. Home prices are holding up. And that may be part of the problem is that there hasn't really been a break in affordability. And home buyers really need to catch a break right now because most homes in most parts of the country are out of sight. Rock bottom is a strong, strong uh, <laughs> statement to make. Um, to follow up on that, do you feel like the market is actually dysfunctional? Do you think it's healthy? Well, I think what's dysfunctional about it is that rates increased so fast that almost no one is willing to sell a home. And that also affects buyers. So it's a real standoff. There's very low inventory. There's very low demand. And that's why home prices have held up. Normally in a correction, there's an actual correction. Home prices come down. That lets more people into the market. There's a whole generation of millennials who are waiting for their opportunity. And there just hasn't been that break in the market where prices have really come down. And normally brokers say the sky is falling when prices drop. But I think it's a necessary corrective to a market that ran really hot for two or three years during the pandemic and had a really good decade before that. When we last spoke a year ago, and we'll get back to the question of home prices, but last year we talked about the real estate sector consolidating, downsizing in a very, very different post-pandemic world. Have we downsized enough? Have we reached enough in terms of consolidation? Are you talking about the industry? Yeah. I think we're most of the way there. We might not be all of the way there. So there's just a bunch of companies that raised a ton of dough in 2020, 2021, 2022. And definitely those companies see the writing on the wall that profits are very important for all of us. Uh, but some of us still haven't run out of money. And so there may be more consolidation ahead. I don't think Redfin is going to combine with any other companies. It's something very unique that we've built our own website, but also our own brokerage and employed our agents. And so we're such an odd duck. I don't know who we could breed with, but um, I do think there might be further consolidation ahead. Mostly it's happened, but there's still probably some in the future. The Fed meets in September. 
the shelter inflation, housing costs, the cost of housing, it, it's still running pretty hot based on their gauge, their read. A lot of people disagree with how they read inflation. Mm. Bottom line is, do you think they'll hike rates again? Because that has profound implications to not only the real estate sector, but your business as a business itself, right? Well, the mortgage market is priced in a couple of rate hikes that the Fed has been clear it is going to pursue. I don't think it's going to do more than that. But what the market really needs is for the Fed to indicate that at some point in the foreseeable future, it's going to step back. And I can't imagine that the Fed will do that. There's just no percentage in it for Chairman Powell to say that he's really worried about inflation. And just any sign that the battle is over could lead to a resurgence of the beast. And so my guess is that rates are going to stay near 7% through the end of 2023. And the real concern is what will happen in the first half of 2024? Because even if rates come down in the summer of 2024, that can still crimp the home buying season. Many people gear up to buy homes, start listing their homes February, March in April and really start buying them April, May, and June because they want to get their kids settled for the school year. And if rates aren't low coming into the spring, I think we could have a tough 2024 too. What happens if rates go beyond that? Some people are saying rates could go up to 8%. Mm-hmm. In the 80s, it went up to 18%. I don't know if we're going there, right? What happens when, when the 30-year goes to something like 10%? Uh, I mean you kind of hinted at it, that freezes the real estate market, right? But could that be like some wider damage? Well, at some point, there's just a broader economic recession. And so far, the miracle of this economy is that no one thought we could get a soft landing coming into 2023. And that so far is exactly what seems to have happened. Employment is still good. From our perspective, Redfin's perspective, it'd almost be better if the economy were worse, because then the Fed could step back on inflation and housing could get that break that we were talking about. As an American citizen, of course, what I really want, though, is for the U.S. and the world to do well. And that's what we've been doing. So I don't think that we're going to have runaway inflation and I don't think we're going to have a collapsing economy that we have been able to chart this middle course. And so it's hard for me to speculate on what would happen if rates were 10%. Oh my gosh, Crystal told me to turn on my phone like a hundred times. Crystal, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's my watch. I got this watch for my birthday and I don't even know how to operate it. It's the most complicated thing that's ever happened to me. Happy birthday, Glenn. Um, Actually, it was six months ago and I still haven't figured it out. But that's that's fine. Let's move on. Happy belated birthday. You only turn however old you are once a year. So yeah, it um, happened faster than that. But let's move on. <laughs> let's move on. Um it's interesting. Have you talked to home buyers recently? You know, what is the overall sentiment? Because what I'm hearing is if I'm a renter, I'm kind of stuck renting for a long time. Yes. Well, I think what's going on is that household formation is really depressed. So we saw a massive uptick in people going out on their own, ditching their roommate, moving out from mom and dad's house because housing had become more affordable. People could go across the country. So if a home was too expensive in L.A., they would be able to buy a $300,000 home in Oklahoma City. And now that trend is reversed where household formation is significantly depressed. The rent is high. Home prices are high. And 
landlords know it. Um, normally what limits your ability to raise the rent is that people will start saying, well, this is lower or higher, excuse me, than a mortgage payment. Um, but today I think there's two twin towers in the housing market. Apartments are expensive and houses are expensive. So I think household formation is going to be low. It's sort of an arrested de development problem for what I can only assume is your generation, RT, that you know, where are people going to live? What are they supposed to do? At this point in the 80s and 90s, uh, the baby boomer generation owned 20, 25% of US wealth. Uh, this generation at the same point owns less than 10%. And much of that is about their home ownership. They just haven't been able to get the leverage to buy a home and home prices have been out of reach. I'm glad you brought up the 80s. So let's do a little bit of time travel. Mm -hmm. 80s, 18% mortgage rates, 10% inflation. We mm -hmm. had a very similar situation where people might have been rate locked, right? So do you see any parallels between then and now? What happened after? Is there anything we can learn from that period that maybe can give us an indication on what's going to happen over the next decade? Well, the difference is that there wasn't a soft landing. So Volcker caused a full-on recession and the economy consolidated. People lost their jobs and inflation was tamed. This time, housing has been affected by the Fed increasing rates. The capital markets had a shorter term effect, but mostly uh, the rest of the economy has been unaffected, especially the service economy, where I think the most persistent sources of inflation are. So that's why I think the parallel so far hasn't been as analogous as we would like. Um, if there were a really deep recession, then I think you would see a housing boom follow that because rates would come down, prices would come down, and then the market could recover. But instead, I think what we're going to have is just a longer period of lower home buying activity because I don't see a basis for rates to come down quickly. So they might not shoot up as much, but they might not come down as much. We're in a holding pattern. There is though a part of the real estate sector that's doing pretty well and I, home building, right? Home builders are getting a lot of attention because they are adding inventory. You recently signed a partnership with Zillow about new mm. listings. Can you talk a little bit about that and all this optimism around new construction? Sure. Well, just more and more people are looking to builders. Builders are often aggressive about buying down the rate, and they're one of the only reliable sources of inventory in the market because so many people don't want to move. They'd have to give up that 3% mortgage to move. They couldn't even buy their own place. So they're not even going to consider moving up. That means that the builders are the only ones who really have homes to sell. And so they are in a really good position. They had supply chain problems earlier that have mostly been resolved. They still have problems accessing land, uh, some labor shortages, but mostly uh, they're the only game in town. So getting that inventory on our side, it was always there, but we got more from Zillow really helped us and we did it because we wanted to help our buyers so now the conversations that we're having with people selling their house is we show them the new construction that is competing with their listing and we say you either have to be cheaper or just as pretty as this listing and i think we're starting to see that people who are selling their homes 
really get aggressive about competing with the builders when earlier in the year, those sellers just had their heads in the sand. They were saying, well, if I'd only sold six months ago, this is what I could have gotten. The builders react much faster to market changes. They're sitting on 100 units, 200 units. And so they're going to mark that inventory down faster than the resale market will. And now I think those two markets are converging. So there might be a little more pressure on builders in terms of price, but they had a really good first half. And I think they're going to have a good second half, too, because there's no inventory coming in sight from the other side of the market. We recently got some news from the home builders. They run a uh, survey every month, confidence survey, and it said that 25% of builders are cutting prices. That speaks to your point about builders being able to move faster, but it also says no one is immune to high rates. That's what I'm reading, right? Yeah. So it seems like that 7% mortgage rate is even taking a toll on one of the brightest sectors in real estate. Absolutely. I do think that going from seven to seven and a quarter just over the past week, or two has been a material change for home buyers. I don't know if it's psychological or truly just financial that you could afford the mortgage payment at seven, but not at seven and a quarter, but especially coming at the end of the long, hot summer, some people saw that and just said, no mess. From the perspective of a home seller who is finally getting their head out of the sand, what is what are some of the biggest factors that motivate someone to sell right now? Is it a job relocation? Is it family changes? You know, what have you sort of been seeing? Well, that's where you get to the fundamental level of home sales in the United States. Even when the sky is falling, you go from about six million units to four million and change because housing is this fundamental need, food, shelter, clothing. So this is death, divorce, relocation. These are people who are moving because they have to. There was another source of liquidity that we saw in 2008, a massive source of liquidity that has been slow to emerge here. And that is just short sales and foreclosures where people bought a house they could never afford, hoping it would continue to increase in price and they could just keep refinancing it. That didn't happen this time because credit standards were much higher. But in some markets, especially say in Texas, that have been very cyclical. We did see investors come in very strong. They now can't rent their units. The property taxes in states like that are high because they don't have an income tax. And so those folks are now looking to get out, even if they have to bring a checkbook to the closing table. And so usually when the market is frozen, one thing that just creates inventory and creates ultimately sales volume is distress. And that can be personal distress, uh, death and divorce, or it can be a macroeconomic source of distress, like people falling short on their investment. So some of those things are starting to happen, but we're still basically at, at the lower level, the lower bound of U.S. home sales. I don't think it can get much lower just because if you look at sort of a chart, it never really goes below 4 million. Even in 2008, it didn't get below 4 million. So Redfin is running its business based on the size of the housing market we have today and expecting that it will be that size for as far out as the eye can see. And then the recovery will just be upside. So we're going to turn to questions in a bit. I've got a couple more I want to ask you, for, but from audience, we have, we're going to turn to them. But um, who is that home buyer looking like? Uh, Salma Hep from CoreLogic was telling me that there is an increase in all cash offers. And that to me sounds like baby boomers who can maybe pull equity on their home. 
who is the home buyer today if there are so few, I guess, 4 million? Yeah, well, certainly when rates go up, cash is king. And I've seen boomers with money, but also people getting help from mom and dad. Uh, there are just so many alternative forms of financing right now because a mortgage is so unattractive to people. So um, you see all of that. I think there's another long-term dynamic, which is still that I think this is unfinished business moving from coastal cities to lower cost parts of America. We'll look back in history and say it was so crazy that in San Francisco and L.A. and New York and Boston and maybe Seattle, there was all this concentration of wealth when there was more affordable housing and maybe a better lifestyle in other parts of the country. That dam broke in 2020. Some people are coming back to work. And by the way, we're helping them move back to California. It's something I hadn't heard until about a week ago. Um, we'll, get, we'll get to there. We'll get there. Okay. <laughs> mostly, mostly, I think people are still moving to the middle of the country. And that's a long-term trend over probably a decade. Um, that will be good for America and hopefully good for Redfin too. Did you just say you were helping Redfin employees or just generally home buyers move back to um, the coasts? Oh, no, I meant our customers. Um, I was in Texas last week and I just heard for the first time that some of my customers, some of our, our customers are moving back to California, moving back to New York. Their employers have called them and said, we want you in the office and they don't have other job opportunities where they can work remotely. So they're coming back. That's also been true in Seattle. I've heard that a few times. Uh, a couple of Amazon workers for our home buying customers who'd moved to the middle of the country and had to come back to Seattle because the boss wants them there three days a week. That, that is sort of the overwhelming request that many companies are making, which is why rents in Manhattan have reached yeah. astronomical levels as to put it yeah. lightly. Well, but, it's also a cool place to live, isn't it? Don't you have fun there? I mean, it depends. Don't you know. deny it. Don't deny it. I don't live in New York. I live in New Jersey because I don't want to pay city tax. Um, it's very expensive place to live in. And yeah. you kind of spend more than 50% of your income if you're going to live in New York City. And it's, it's a great experience. I also lived in the East Village and I was... Yeah. Younger, but now I'm, you know, with a kid, it you kind of have to look forward to a bigger house, which is something you have I to know. know, outside the know. City. You know all of this. I'm glad you had a child because it means you have to buy a house. I just wish you'd buy it from us. <laughs> so, uh, let's talk about home prices. Every home buyer is hoping and praying that home prices will fall. They're falling on the West Coast. Can you talk a little bit about why that is so and why that's not sort of being replicated across the country is it because of the builders cutting prices is that why home prices are falling far more in the west no it's mostly just an inventory shortage so there was some twitter exchange with david Sachs and elon musk where they said prices fell for commercial real estate and now there's going to be a collapse in home prices uh here in the u.s and i weighed in and said i'll take a bet with you this was a couple of months ago home prices are not precipitously falling, they're probably stable or even going up. And nationwide home prices increased 3% last month. And this isn't me gilding the lily. I just told you that sales volume is rock bottom. I think it's hard 
for many people who aren't as close to the market to disentangle sales volume from price. But right now with so few homes to sell, we still have 44% of the inventory going off the market within two weeks. So there aren't that many homes to sell. There aren't that many buyers. Um, and that keeps prices pretty solid. And on climate change, which I think is a topic that you're quite passionate about. Um, home insurers have been leaving Florida, have been not seeing good business in many parts of the country because of wildfires yeah. and flooding and all these issues. Uh, that isn't necessarily driving down home prices in these parts of the country which are affected by climate change. So what is going on there? Well... I do think it is slowing price growth. I mean, the most recent example of this is I just talked to our agents in Maui. Everyone's safe, but people need shelter there. They're still buying homes, believe it or not. They need it more than ever. It's just that the insurers have backed out on almost every deal saying we're not going to write new policies. And this was for deals that were going to close this week. So society is becoming more and more reluctant to underwrite migrations to climate risked areas. More and more people are moving to Nevada, to Salt Lake City, um, to parts of the country in California that are prone to wildfires. They're moving into lowland areas like Houston, um, where flooding could be a real problem. And they're doing that because that's the only place you can get a deal. The people selling those homes know that they have to mark the, the price down. And the people buying it know the risks that they're taking. But they can't afford to get to high ground or they can't afford to be in the city center. And so they're taking that wildfire risk. And the problem is that we used to be able to get the home insurer to hold hands on that risk with us. And that's getting harder and harder to do. And it is affecting liquidity. It used to be that the only party you really worried about when you were trying to put together a deal besides the buyer and the seller is the financier, the lender. Um, and increasingly, the question is, well, who's going to insure this house? And without the insurance, you're not going to get the loan. Yeah. And it is, it is quite a challenge for some people who have multiple homes that you have to pay thousands of dollars in premiums. And they might not even have it fully covered, right? So we've spoken to some homeowners about that issue. Uh -huh. We're going to turn to audience. You know, RT, wait a minute here. I just can't be worried about those folks. If you've got two homes, that's a first world problem. I know I'm talking to the Barron's audience. So the average number of homes owned, people listening to this, it's probably three or four. Um, but the real issue, I think, is people who are moving to these areas where it's their only home. Yeah. That yes, but so all right, all right, all right. I'll get off the little. I'm I'm a renter, so I hear you. I hear you, but I also want to talk yeah. to public in general, not There's just a lot of different segments. Disenfranchised uh, by this yeah. renters. Um, audience question. So one of the interesting ones that came in was um about conversions, converting con uh commercial to usable residential. It's costly, it's restrictive, but it's adding to housing supply. How do you feel about that? Do you feel like it's one of the other solutions to this inventory issue? Mostly the conversion is so expensive that you'd be better off blowing up the building and building housing in its place. Um, so 
you know, for these really dense downtown areas out here, why don't we convert that skyscraper into a condo building? And it's just an incredibly expensive project. We haven't seen many builders do that. And at the same time, commercial real estate, I think, is just getting one step better. I know it was at a very funereal level, and I'm not saying it's all rainbows and roses, but it has gotten a step better. So I'm not sure that's going to be a significant or fast source of residential infantility. Do you see the path for smaller homes? And just curious about that, because we have done some reporting about the average square foot footage of a new home getting smaller and smaller. Do you also see that? I mean, what is your observation on the new homes that are coming up? Maybe. I mean, there's such an affordability crunch that that might be the direction we go in. During the pandemic, as an urbanist, I was dismayed to see how many people left the city, were less sensitive to the length of their commute or to having to commute to get other things like groceries and coffee. And they all wanted more space. And that felt like a long-term secular trend. Uh, but now it's just met the financial reality that they can't afford it. So that's going to be a push and pull um, to give people more space, but to make the home more affordable. I think when rates come down again, whenever that happens, people are going to be buying bigger houses again. And that isn't what I want them to do, but it doesn't matter what I want them to do. What they want. There is an investor here who um, asks, what is the outlook for multifamily real estate? So uh, put on your investor hat here. Sorry to make you do that. <laughs> but no, I don't mind. There is a bigger return on multifamily versus single family based on demographic trends. If people are going to be renting for longer, is it worth investing in an apartment building versus a single family home? Well, one proxy for that is I think that Zillow, CoStar, Redfin are competing for rental traffic. And just to take Redfin out of it for a minute, rental traffic has been shifting from apartments.com run by CoStar to Zillow. And Zillow has always been stronger at single family rentals versus multifamily rentals. And I've just attributed that even though most of the money in the industry is in the multifamily rentals, I do think consumer preference over the past two or three years had shifted toward renting single family homes. That is now muddled. Um, everything is sort of muddled because the economy has been through so many changes. The multifamily industry has gone through a massive consolidation where a, a few property management companies are running a large number of apartment buildings much more efficiently and they're pricing uh, better. So I'm not the expert on which investment is better. I haven't put my money there, my own personal money um, into multifamily uh, rentals. Um, I would say things in between have been doing well too. Smaller buildings kind of run by mom and pop. Um, I've seen some roll-ups of that that have been quite lucrative. We've done a number of stories on built to rent, which is uh, single family homes managed by these giant uh, companies. And there's a lot of, a lot of interest in these homes that serve as sort of a place to stay while waiting for rates to come down, right? So it, it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, Peter, ha who is listening right now, had an interesting question about generational trends. So if you think about millennial home buying, uh -huh. we are in a 
leasing, right? Um, yeah. You think that will have implications for the longer term. And I am also sort of want to throw in this context that in Asian societies, like I come from Singapore, I come, I, my family grew up in India. Oh. We have a very big history of renting for very long periods of time. We're totally comfortable with renting because it's yeah. to buy. Do you think there is sort of a generational societal shift as it, in terms of the American dream of home ownership? Well, you don't even have to go as far as Singapore. Even if you go 90 miles north of where I am or 100 miles north of where I am, Canada, more people rent longer than they do here. Um, it's really interesting that home prices are so expensive relative to incomes in Canada. But I don't think people are quite as worked up about it because they just don't have the expectation created by the American dream. And now we do have sort of three stages when there used to be two. In my day, in my day, people would be cramped in some rinky-dink little apartment and they'd save up all their shekels and then go buy a house. And now I think you do that in your 20s, but in your 30s, you might rent a house for another decade. And only in your 40s would you be able to buy a house. And the real impact is just on generational wealth. That's what we were talking about earlier is that all the money is owned by old people in America. And that transfer of wealth that normally happens when people are able to get a piece of the American dream just hasn't been happening over the past few years because home prices have been so expensive and credit has been tight. Even before credit got expensive, credit was really tight after uh, the 2008 lending reforms. What do you think will needs to happen for mortgage rates to come down uh, when rates go up? It's a difficult question. Um, when rates go up, home prices go up. When rates go down, home prices go down. So from that perspective, people are wondering in the questions, uh, what will it take for rates to go down? What will it take for that dynamic to move? Well, the past year has almost been an economic science experiment where if you hammer just one sector of the American economy, but the rest keeps humming, is there still inflationary pressure? So home prices have been hammered, but the, or excuse me, home sales volume has been hammered, but uh, the service economy is doing really well. And so you would have to see prices come down across the supply chain that has started to happen just because shipping is better supply chain bottlenecks have eased uh, oil has obviously come down uh, which gives people a break at the pump um, but the service sector of the economy is just smoking hot and so as long as people are going to the restaurants grocery stores hotels and just feeling like these prices are insane um, i think it puts a little pressure on the fed um, maybe not, you know, to keep pushing rates up, but also not to, to take their foot off the gas either and let rates come down. So I think we're in a holding pattern right now. The economy is pretty strong. Housing is a little weaker. So we're down to our last question. We're running out of time. Mr. Glenn Kelman, rock bottom real estate holding oh. pattern. <laughs> but one, one thing that you're very excited about over 2024. For, the, for your business, for real estate? Give us that one thing. Oh, well, I just think that Redfin has gone through an adjustment. It's just horrible um, having to lay people off, having to cut costs, and just coming into the year with an incredible team 
and feeling like you fully adjusted to the market conditions, we can get back to doing what we've done every quarter for 17 or 18 years, which is taking share hand over fist. So I don't mind a hard time at all. I was sort of made for it. I enjoy that kind of struggle. But I think the initial adjustment to it is just a whipsaw for everyone here. And so I just want to settle down, do my job, take some share, serve our customers well. I think we're going to get in a good group. We're going to kick up with you in a couple of months' time to see how you're feeling. But yeah, thank okay. That's good to see you, Artie. Thanks well, for your time. Thank you. And that is all the time we have for today. Thank you so much, Glenn, for being here today. I really enjoyed this conversation. And for the rest of you, we hope you will listen to our next episode tomorrow, where Financial News' careers correspondent Kristen Megashi talks with experts about the anti-ESG backlash in the U.S. and whether this could happen in the U.K., and also about how the industry can restore trust after greenwashing allegations. So thank you all for listening. Stay safe and have a great day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.